uh, during the next three weeks, during the weeks of our fast. And uh, not surprisingly, the series will be kind of connected to fasting and praying and what does that look like. And the name of the series is, is Amplify. And, uh, you know, an amplifier obviously is something that amplifies sound, that brings a different level of power. And there's always an the interesting moment when you are speaking, um, if you've ever had it, where if the mic goes out, you suddenly will have like, th there's like this awkward moment where you're trying to figure out, did the mic go out? Uh, everyone's looking at me in a strange way. And then when finally you get power back and your voice is amped, it's like, whoosh, and everyone kind of freaks out a little bit. And I feel like um, there are things in our lives that we can do uh, as people following Jesus that sort of amplify, uh, amplify the the experience of God in our life, that amplify the, the power of God in our life, that amplify the, the connection to God and with each other or our ministry. And one of those things is, is fasting and is praying. And uh, I come from a church, I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. Uh, at the church I went to, we, we definitely never fasted. We never talked about fasting uh, and never mentioned fasting. It didn't really exist. Uh, the only time anyone said fast was like, Let's hopefully get through the service fast. And uh, that was kind of like the main, other than that, we never really talked about it. And then I went to a church in, in Mexico when I lived in Mexico, and we did not talk about fasting in that church either. And uh, I, so when I came to, to the New Life, uh, I guess 11 years ago, and uh, I remember the first time they said, oh, we're going to have a fast. I thought, that's cool. I've kind of heard of it. I always thought people fasted were sort of interesting like people, maybe that'll be uh, that'll be kind of cool, right? And uh, and they said, yeah, we're going to do 21 days. And I remember Paco saying, for 21 days, I'm only going to have juice and water. And I thought, you are crazy. Like that is not possible. And so I was blown away to see many people who have been walking with the Lord a whole lot less time than I had, who kind of went through this fast and had all these amazing stories to share about how God had moved in their life. And uh, and I think that. You know, when people talk about the fruit of the Spirit and it's love and patience and kindness, the one that's always the killer is the self-control. You know, that one is like, if you could throw that one out, it always felt like uh, that was the problem one. And for me, the, I remember the first time trying to fast, I said, I'm going to do it. You know, the first year I just thought, these people are crazy, and so I faked it. And then the second year, I, uh, I said, I'm actually going to do this. And I remember like two days in or three days in just totally, utterly failing in the fast and thinking, man, this is, this is hard. I don't know why I can't do it. And I discovered a few things since then that are helpful. Um, one of them that I discovered about myself was I, I, I didn't have good self-control. And fasting was an amazing thing in my life when I finally was able to actually participate in the fast. I discovered a great trick that actually the first two, three days of the fast are a killer. And then it's a whole lot easier afterwards. Believe it or not, if you can get through the first two days, um, usually the first day what you're feeling is not so much hunger as it is withdrawal. You're feeling kind of like a, a, an addict coming down because if you're like me, you're probably addicted to sugar and to caffeine, which I am. And it's not like an addiction I feel bad about. It's one I just go for. And uh, uh, so coming off of all the sugar and all the caffeine, the first few days is like headaches and I don't know what's going on, but it's not, it's not actually hunger. It's just just hurting. And then there's this moment on the other side of that where you actually feel incredibly good. And, uh, and I never really experienced anything like it until, until I kind of jumped in. So I'm going to, I really want to encourage you to, in some way or another, participate 
in this fast with us. And you have a sheet uh, on your, in your bulletin, I think that, well, I guess not in your bulletin, just one of the many sheets uh, that you got. And uh, it has information about how to fast, a little bit of information in the back about fasting, and in the front, a way to decide. And at the end of the service, um, I want to give you an opportunity to think through that. Um, but what I thought we would do in the meantime is just sort of look at uh, a few different stories. The thing about fasting is it is everywhere in Scripture. It's everywhere. It's all over from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I'm almost 100% positive, uh, you know, that if Jesus were to walk around or Paul or, uh, you know, any of the, the, the early crew and find that for most churches, the idea of fasting was crazy, they would be shocked. I think it was just the assumption was not, the question was not if you would fast or not fast. The question is, what would your fast be like? And you find that in verses um, like when Jesus says, when you give, you know, when you pray and when you fast. And there's really not a lot of churches that have ditched when you give. <laughs> uh, but uh, somehow when you fast is not, not always made it through the, made it through the cut. Uh, but I find it throughout scripture. And I wish, I truly do wish that God had a different way uh, that we would see him work in powerful ways other than fasting. I, I really wish there was a different way that he went about it. And he said, and you know, in certain seasons when you're running into trouble, uh, just eat as much as you can and then see what God does. Like that would have been terrific. But I've discovered in my own life and I see throughout scripture that God does in fact use, use fasting. So over the next three weeks and tonight a little bit as we share for those who are able to make it, um, want to kind of help you guys out as you think through that. Um, but we're going to look at a story that comes from Second Chronicles today. Second uh, Chronicles... I don't think I've preached in 2 Chronicles since we started, but uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is uh, one of the stories of one of the kings of Israel and a, a hard time in their life. This was the, I think it was the fourth king after Israel kind of had their little separation. And uh, the half of Israel, well, more than half, uh, 10 of the 12 tribes sort of went one direction and the other two went a different direction. Um, the kingdom that was Israel did not have a very good run. It had... Their first king, Saul, who was not a good king. Their second king, David, who was sort of like one of them considered like a model for um, being a person after God's heart, but still was a pretty scandalous king. I mean, had an, had an affair and covered the affair by committing murder. And that really leaves the Clintons in the dust. I mean, honestly, uh, you would not see a scandal like that would really struggle in the age of 24-hour uh, news media. But uh, that was like the best king. And then um, you go from there to Solomon, who is the wisest person ever, but um, he wasn't very good, always at applying his wisdom because he often did the opposite of what his wisdom spoke. And uh, eventually through his policies, uh, when his son takes over, the, there's a civil war, basically. The, the, the nation divides and never ever ever never recovers ever until today has never never joined uh, together since then um, lots of more history there but uh, but basically this is uh, uh, Judah and the two kingdoms to the south tend to be the ones that stay more loyal to God and uh, this is the fourth king in that and that kind of run and most of the kings that you find in the Bible were not good but this one was was pretty good uh, he's one of the better ones was trying to live and lead his nation to follow God, was trying to act justly, was trying to worship God above all else, and was doing a pretty good job of it. Um, but this was sort of the biggest crisis that they had in his, in his season, and we find it in chapter 20. So I put kind of the name of the, the, the message, Desperate for God, and uh, we find that they were desperate for God in this time. So the first thing that I find, that he, he calls a fast, and the first thing I find in these passages is, we find them fasting, first and foremost, because they just desperately need God. We fast because we need God desperately. And we find that in the first few verses. So Second Chronicles 20, 1 to 13, 
It says, after this, Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Maonites, lots of ites, uh, came to wage, wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Engedi. That didn't help. Uh, alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. They all came together from all the region to the, to the temple. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who are, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood before the Lord. Uh, this is... You know, this is a, a moment of crisis for Israel. They're about to be attacked, and they're not ready for it. And what I find that's so amazing about these verses, and what I think motivates us most to fast more than anything else, is when you know, there's a line, one of the last lines in uh, verse 12, it says, we have no power, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And when you are in a situation in life, when you know that you have no power, and you do not know what to do, and you are desperate, uh, that more than anything else will drive you to a place of desperation for God and of needing God and searching for God and praying to God. And if you've never been in a place where you said, I have absolutely no idea what to do, and even if I didn't know what to do, I have no power even to do it. I do not know what to do in this situation. If you've ever been in there, um, we can despair in that place very easily. Uh, we can medicate that place because that place feels bad and uh, there's all sorts of ways that this world can help us to feel at least temporarily good uh, so we can medicate that place uh, we can be angry about that place or if you've never done this this is the best thing to do or you can desperately seek God and you can say I'll fast and I'll pray and I'll cry out to heaven and say God I have no power I do not know what to do but my eyes are set on you and I'm willing to do whatever is necessary. And God uh, at that time calls his people to pray and to fast. And so the first thing I'd like to, to encourage you as you think through fasting, if you just want to fast for fasting's sake, um, there's actually lots of like health food kind of people who get into like 21-day juice cleanses and things like that. Um, I'm not that guy. I would love to have a 21-day taco cleanse. I don't know what that would look like. Um, I have no interest in like really being particularly healthy whatsoever. But uh, I mean, other than, you know, it's a good idea. But, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not I don't fast for that reason. None of those reasons would, would follow it up. I don't fast to, to lose weight because I know that if the fast ends on January 29th, by around February 10th, I'm right back to where I started. So I've already learned enough. I don't, there's really no benefit for me in fasting. Other than that, uh, I come from a place of desperately needing God and feeling like God, as a, as a 
guy who is trying to follow you, as a guy who is trying to be a good husband to Krista and a good father to Jonathan and to Hannah and to Isaac, and as a guy who's trying to do a good job in leading this congregation and all the other different things in life, I don't, I very often feel like I do not know what to do and I do not have power and I need you desperately. I need you to act and to work in places that I can't work. So God, I need you. And so my first thing that I want to encourage you to fasting is rather than think about why should I fast or should I not fast, is there something that you are desperate about, something that you feel like, God, I need you. Uh, maybe you're far from him right now and you feel like, I don't, I don't feel like all this Jesus-y kind of stuff, it doesn't, doesn't happen for me. Like I don't, don't feel it. I'm not excited about it. I don't, really don't enjoy my time with him. Maybe it's time to be desperate for God and to fast and to pray. Uh, maybe you're involved, you know, a lot of our, the guys who are involved with the Urban Life Skills program had a good chance to talk to, to Matt DiMatteo um, not too long ago. He's saying, you know, this was, a, this was a tough year. And I know, Hector, you could share about that as well. This is a hard year in the city of Chicago. I think something like, lots of different figures come out, but I think something like 812 homicides, depending on how you, you kind of organize homicides, is bad. And in the program, I think something like 15 guys um, who were well known to people in the program were buried this year. That will cause you to desperately cry out. Man, I'm pouring my life out for people who are getting shot up and crying out to God. To say, for me who have felt this last year a burden, to say, God, how will we make disciples better? I believe with my whole heart that God has called us to make disciples of Little Village. And I believe that um, it's going to require some changes in the way we do things and a greater amount of energy to push ourselves out. And I feel like, God, is that going to happen? Is that going to happen? Man, I feel desperate. God, will you work? Because I don't have power and I can't seem to, God, I need you. And so what are you desperate about? Maybe it's something personal. Uh, maybe it's part of the mission that God has called you to. Uh, maybe it is just simply you just feel disconnected from God and you need to desperately seek after him. Uh, but that desperation, more than anything else, will motivate you to fast. And what I've discovered in my life and what we've discovered as a church is that it actually works. That throwing yourself fully towards God, uh, desperately seeking him, fasting and praying, it, like, it actually does things. It really, it really does. You know, try it. Write down something. Search your heart and say, God, where am I desperate for you? Uh, maybe you feel desperate about nothing and you've just, you've become without means, you've become sort of apathetic. And uh, if nothing kind of makes your heart boil, whether in your own life or in your desire to be used by God, and you, you, pro you probably need to fast um, because the world is a mess and is not the way it should be. And that the, there are many, many people in our neighborhood, thousands and thousands of people who are so far from God right now. And uh, we have the answer to tell them if nothing gets you moved to be desperate, um, that itself is a good reason to pray and to fast uh, until God gives you a burden that, that sort of eats up at you and says, gives you a reason to wake up each morning seeking God and trying to live for God. Um, so desperation for God. I think that is the first thing to have. And one of the things I'm praying for us as a congregation is will we so desperately love the harvest? Will we so desperately love those who are far from God as a church um, that it moved us to do crazy things for them? Uh, whether that's share our faith, whether it's go across the street and knock on a door. Who knocks on the doors? Only the Jehovah's Witness. They're crazy. Uh, like who else? Does, what, whatever it would mean, God, would you move us in that way? If we'd, would we love our neighborhood so much that it would move us to action? Uh, different types of action, uh, but would it move us to action? Uh, it's one of the things that I'm, I'm praying for. And I think one of the reasons we don't uh, sometimes jump in fully is because we really don't have a lot of love for, for the harvest, uh, for those who are far from God. We don't love our neighborhood the way God does, um, but I want to feel that desperate love for our neighborhood, and I want it to 
fill me up and make me uncomfortable and lose sleep. Uh, that's what I'm praying for. God, would you pray to me a greater love and a greater desperation to see you move in our neighborhood. Uh, so that's our first reason to fast. And that's a good place to fast out of, uh, desperation for God. The second thing, the reason we pray and we fast is because we need God's direction. And so we'll pick up the story in verse 13 to 17. I guess verse 14. Uh, then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Anetheriah, and another one, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up uh, by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the edge of the gorge in the desert of um, Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Uh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So they are praying and they're fasting. And if you can imagine the scene, it's people have come. It's like a camping trip. Everyone's come in from all over the towns and they've all come to Jerusalem and they've all come to the temple and they're all desperate for, for God and they're all filled with fear and wondering what's going to happen next. And so they get together and they pray and they say, God, we have no idea. We have no power and we don't know what to do. Uh, we are desperate for you. We have no idea what comes next. And what is amazing is that during this fast, during this time, um, the spirit of the Lord comes upon somebody and that somebody gives an answer and says, this is what God says. And there is nothing better than when in prayer and fasting and seeking God, God gives direction. And you feel confidence to be able to act on that direction. I remember as a church, and we've told this story uh, before, I think, but I remember at uh, 27th and Lawndale, before this location had already started, I remember we were looking at the floor, and the floor, I felt like we had kind of gone down to the last cap. We couldn't really, there was like the next one down was you were in the basement. And so there was no more uh, floor to go, and we were looking at the financial situation, and shockingly, it wasn't really very good at that time. Time. Uh, I know it's surprising, but uh, we were wondering what to do, and uh, we said, boy, we need a new floor, and around the same time, we were wanting to use that space to do more ministry, to open the space up, to allow people to be involved. Uh, we have now aerobics classes, and um, a lot of the after-school activities that happen there, an open gym. We wanted to make the space into a multi-use space, which would have given us a great, greater opportunity to minister, and I remember praying and fasting and saying, God, what should we do about this thing? And uh, as we were praying and as we were fasting, it was amazing to see um, kind of just a firmness setting in. I, I remember uh, Paco saying, Pastor Paco saying uh, that he felt like God told him, if this is, if, if this is my building, I'll, I'll take care of it. Um, and if it's my building, I want you to use it to bless the neighborhood. But if it's your building, good, good luck with your building. Uh, it's all your building. It's basically saying, I will fight for you. I'll be the one to fight for you. Just like he said here, I'll fight this battle. And Paco's struggling and saying, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll go for it. Literally within a short time after that, um, we had the mortgage for the building uh, completely forgiven. Everything that was left on that mortgage is like $90,000. Um, we had a guy pay to tuck point the outside of the building, gave us like $12,000 worth of, I mean, it's like $100,000 of resources within an unbelievably short period of time came after that. And it's just amazing to see. It's like, God, where is this even, where's this even coming from? Like how, I mean, who gets like $100,000 worth of stuff, uh, worth of non-payments or gifts in that short of a time? That's out of nowhere. Uh, yet it was the Lord who was the one who said, I'll take care of it. And when you feel powerless, 
and you feel weak and you feel like you don't know what to do and you seek God's direction, um, there's an amazing thing that you see throughout Scripture, the sense that God will fight for us. I mean, how awesome that God will fight for us. You know, you have a good guy to fight in your corner. God, he's the one who made everything. And he says, come to me, follow me with your whole self, and I will be your defender. I will be your shield. I will be your fortress. I will be your refuge. I will fight for you. Um, but come into line with my will. Follow me. Do as I'm. I'm not, I'm not, you know, just out there looking to throw. I'm not your servant. But if you give yourself fully to me, if you follow me, I'm the one who takes care of you. And if you look through the Psalms over and over again, you find this sense of God saying that he's our shield, that he's our, uh, he's our refuge, he's our, our strong place. And we can just say that sounds nice and that would be, look like a nice verse to put in a frame with a picture of a lighthouse or an eagle or something like that. But uh, I think he's not joking. And I've seen it in my own life, the way God has fought for me, the way God has fought for us, the way God has provided things. Uh, he gives direction. I remember several years ago praying for the cookie factory. Do you guys remember when we were praying for the cookie factory on 27th and uh, Kildare? And we said, should we move to the cookie factory? And so we fasted and we prayed and I wanted the answer to be yes. We laid hands on the cookie factory. I think we almost knocked the building down. It's not very good shape. And uh, we prayed for it. And I remember saying, God, give us direction. And the answer was no. It was like emphatically no. Like every person I knew who was praying for it said, nah. It's a no. It's a no. And I was like, really? It's a no? I don't like that direction. But I'm so happy that that was the direction uh, because since then, God has done all sorts of different things. He opened up the office space in front. The lady um, rehabbed that space. It's super nice. That cookie factory that cookie factory was like three bricks away from being a pile of rubble. So uh, I feel like God rescued us at that moment. I wanted the answer to be yes. And we prayed and we fasted and we asked for direction. And he said, I'm going to pre-fight this battle for you. This is a money pit. And the answer is no ahead of time. And he, and he cut it off. And I'm so glad that we prayed and we fasted about that. Uh, maybe you're looking for direction in your life right now. Maybe you're wondering. Maybe you're facing a battle and you have no idea what to do. Whether it's a personal battle or a ministry battle or a family battle. Um, God would say, cry out to me, be desperate for me, fast, pray, seek me, align your will with mine, and then let me fight for you. Let me be the one to lead you and to guide you and to give you direction. I'm, I'm better at it. I'm better at running your life than you are. So just give me the keys. And uh, we'll do that through, through prayer and through fasting. That's the second reason I see we, we need God's direction. We need, we need God. We need his direction. And then the third thing is we, we need his power. We need God's power. And there is something about prayer and fasting um, that somehow I've just, I've seen it. I, like I said earlier, I truly wish it was a different way that I would have seen it. But I've seen it through prayer and fasting the way the power of God comes. Um, so just read 18 to 23 and then 27 to 30. It says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korathites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. 
And we'll go down to verse 27. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Uh, and for this one, I put we, fa we fast and we pray and we worship because we need God's power. And this is such an interesting scene. Uh, they were given this word saying, God is going to fight for you. Go ahead, go out. You're not going to die. It's not going to be the end of the road. And so they get ready to go to battle. Everyone's bowing down. And then in the middle of everyone bowing down, one group of people, instead of bowing down, stands up. And they start singing, and they start worshiping God. And first time I read that, I thought maybe that was sort of like, you know, the scene in Elf at the end where, like, just randomly, you know, the lady remembers, they need more Christmas cheer or something like that, and start singing. And, you know, I guess, you know, what you saw the movie. If you did, if you didn't, you should see it. Elf's a good one. Uh, but... Uh, it's like, is that kind of random that these guys just stood up and started singing? But actually, those guys were like the worship team. That group of Levites, they were the choir. Their job actually was to lead the people in singing. So it wasn't super random. It was like everyone was in fear, and the worship team was like, hey, I know what we do. We, let's worship God. And so they stood up, and they started worshiping God. And they said, now we're going to go, and we're going to march out, and let's see what happens. And if you've ever gone into battle, usually you don't think we need more guitar. You know, that's not really the way. Uh, I've never been involved, but uh, all, a, lot of, a lot of war movies, not, not, a lot of, not a lot of liars in their harps. But uh, uh, they, God kind of puts this into Jehoshaphat that go out and I'm going to fight for you. And your job is, just as you've been fasting and praying, is to go out and to worship me. And it says that as they send the worship team up to the front and this group of people go marching, uh, not prepared for battle battle, not prepared for anything, I'm sure. They felt fear and they felt trembling. They went out and they worshiped God. And it says that as they worship uh, God, the other three groups that had joined together to fight against Israel just ended up all fighting with each other, basically. And so eventually they sort of amongst each other defeated themselves and then retired. And so Israel actually never even fights. They never go in. They never raise arms. They never actually do anything because God sort of confuses the confuses the nations and they, they end up fighting against each other. And some people would see this and see that seems kind of crazy. But it's interesting. You know the way that the majority of countries and places like uh, some parts of Asia and in Africa, places like India, the way they ended up becoming free was World War I and World War II because the colonial powers who had spent the previous two centuries slaughtering them and raping them and taking all of their goods suddenly turned on each other and started slaughtering each other. And in 1947, India was free. And uh, by 1960 or so, a huge chunk of Africa that had been partitioned up um, by uh, European powers saying, these are the people whose goods we will take and who we will enslave. Um, they were free and they were independent republics. And uh, of course, they were brave people in each one of those independent stories. And if you go to any of those nations, they'll have stories of how they became free from the French or the British or the British or the British, mostly the British. But uh, uh, all the different groups that oppressed them. But it's like the enemies that were oppressing that part of the world suddenly just started oppressing each other. And although World War II is a horrible thing, um, it sort of actually opened the door for a huge chunk of the world to gain independence. It was like Europe couldn't really kill the rest of the world anymore because they were too busy killing each other, and so they just stopped. Uh, but uh, it's almost like that's the kind of thing God did here. They were worshiping Jesus. They didn't even fight. And sort of these groups that were coming to oppress them that were more powerful 
than them, that were going to impose their will on them, ended up like fighting with each other. And when you look at world history, you'll see that's actually not that weird. Um, lots of groups that join together to oppress other people end up going to war with each other. And that's exactly what happened. And Israel is saved. God turns the, their enemies on each other. And this is the thing that for however it works, and I don't get how it works, I don't really have it all worked out, but it is true that there is power when you worship God. It is true that there is power when you pray and you fast. I'll tell you, in our church, we're not like the kind of church that talks a lot about demons. You probably notice I haven't done like a demon sermon. Um, nonetheless, we believe that people can be, uh, can be controlled by demons, that there are evil spirits. And every time it has happened at church, every time, like, we're not like the kind of church that's like, demons, come on in, coffee afterwards. You know, there's no, like, it's not like our vibe as a church. But every, my first, every experience I've ever had of that has happened during worship. And it's happened multiple times where people come in. It'll happen in Spanish where someone will come in and uh, they'll suddenly be freaking out. I'm someone we never even knew. We never even saw him before. And uh, we'll say, well, what do you do? I, don't, I guess we pray in Jesus' name and God brings about healing. I remember one year a young man, and I, we've shared this story before, um, he came into church and he, uh, Josh Cortez, who used to be a part of this church, came and got me. I was one of the ushers back then. He said, hey, Chris, can you come down? I think someone like wants to beat up Sylvia, um, Paco's wife. Said, oh, that's, that can't be good. And so I went down there. It's like, that's not in my ushering duty. I pass out the, uh, the, uh, I pass out the bulletins. Sorry, Sylvia. But uh, I went down there and the guy was like beating up the wall. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know how to fight. But let's see what happens. And Sylvia was a uh, lot more spiritually mature than I was. And so she sort of looked at him and said, what do you want? And the guy kind of calmed down. And we took the guy into the basement. And uh, after a long period of time, um, he actually ended up giving his, his life to the Lord. And when we talked to him, he said, what, what was up up there? And he said, you know what? I, I'm really into, was, I'm into satanic stuff. And uh, I knew that she was pregnant. She was pregnant. She was pregnant with Danny, I think, at that time. He said, and I wanted to... Something in my head told me, kill that baby. And so that's what I was trying to do. And he said, but I don't know what happened. I couldn't, I couldn't hit her. And so when I was trying to hit her, I would hit the wall. What do you think that was? I was like, oh, I, think that was, I think that was God's protection. And anyways, the guy gave his life to the Lord, but he, he had no phone number or anything, so we didn't see him. And so one time during fasting and praying, me and Hector and Fabricio, some of you guys know, uh, said we should go out and visit the guys who live under the bridges. And we went under one of the bridges, the one on 31st Street, and sure enough, there was this guy. That was where he lived. And we saw him, and he, was, he had a Bible, and he was listening to some worship music on this, like, battery-operated thing. And he had been getting discouraged, and he said, hey, I can't believe I'm seeing you guys here. So I was just praying to God. I really, truly changed that day, but I was just praying and saying, God, I don't know if this really is true, but if it is true, send some guys down here to talk to me. And there's me and Hector and Fabricio showing up with donuts. Like, what's up, guys? Donuts. And, and you know, there is power in prayer and fasting, and there is power in worship. Uh, believe it. Uh, believe it. I've seen it with my own life, and God says it over and over again in Scripture. So we pray and we fast because we are desperate for God, and we are desperate for him to work. We pray and we fast because we don't know what to do. And uh, we don't have power and we need God to give us direction. And uh, we pray because we believe that God will show up and he will surprise us. And he is powerful. Amen? All right. What we're going to do to finish, our time is over. The worship team can come up. Uh, what I would like to do just to finish is if you could take your little, uh, your little sheet. I just want to encourage you during this song. Um, why don't you just take some moment and pray and make a decision of what you're going to do. Uh, maybe you're going to pray and fast one meal a day, and you want to pick that, maybe you want to pray and fast, um, I would say to include food at some point, because fasting technically is food, um, but part of it is social media, 
maybe you're saying, boy, I know I have a lot of time to connect with the Lord, but if you're like me, you get up and you just like automatically look at Facebook or something like that, and you realize, man, I have a whole lot of time that I waste because I just instantly look at, look at social media or look at, uh, look at whatever. Um, you know, I'm sure that Billy will still have a nice birthday party and uh, Pepe will still make a mean uh, salsa. You know, you won't miss much on Facebook. It'll be all right. Uh, it'll be waiting for you when you're done. But um, whatever it is, whatever kind of stops you from spending the time you need to spend with God, um, why don't you take a moment just to pray about that during the song and make a commitment. If there's one thing I've noticed is if you, if you don't decide ahead of time, say some of the tips, decide on what you're going to fast and decide on why you're going to fast. Uh, maybe you can do that right now. Maybe you need some more time. But why would you want to fast? And what are you going to fast? Some of the things for the church we're fasting for, we're fasting for a greater love for God. We want to be people who just love God as a church. We want to be people who love other people. A church that just loves our neighbors, just crazily, radically loves our neighbors. We want to be a church that makes disciples uh, and isn't okay until we are making many disciples. And I left a little blank there because maybe there's something very specific from your family, from your life that you need to be praying and fasting about. And then the last thing, tell somebody else about it. If you don't tell anyone else about it, um, oftentimes it's not like you're trying to uh, make yourself seem super holy, but it's helpful to tell someone else about it because you can encourage each other. This is a corporate fast. It's not the hide and don't tell anybody about it fast. This is the we're all doing it together fast. And so let someone else know what your fast is and say, hey, will you pray for me? This is my decision. And uh, let's together spend these three weeks um, being desperate for God and seeking him. And I believe there's 11 months of the year where God's going to do great things in our lives and through our lives and through our ministry. But let's spend these three weeks uh, being desperate for God. So let's spend some time praying and going over this right now. And then we will finish together in worship.